This is um, what we're going to do is we're going to watch um, one longer clip and then a short section from session two, Randy Patton with Trey and Deb. This is a session in which he's talking about their homework. So he gave them homework at the end of session one. I don't know what I, I don't know what you watched last time, but at the end of session one, last time he gave them some homework, and here's where he is reviewing homework. And we're not going to watch the whole thing. I've I've edited out about a half hour to about a half hour in length. Um, I think the value of this is it gives you a sense of what does it feel like to be in the counseling room, and there's a sense in which this is non-realistic because these are actors. Um, the couple that Randy is talking to are actually on staff at Faith Lafayette, and um, and so there, there's an unrealness to it. It doesn't nothing ever works this smoothly. Uh, in the counseling room, wish that it would, but it doesn't. Uh, but it does give you a sense of the kind of thing that goes on. And so what I want you to pay particular attention to is just making notes of how is Randy using the homework? What is he trying to accomplish in the homework? Um, what kind of principles are you learning about the giving of homework through this? Um, how does he control the session? So Randy, Randy can control a session as effectively as anybody I've ever seen. So how does he do that? Um, and um, how does he encourage them? How does he correct them? And there's a sum of both of those in, the, in here. So watch this. I will, I will give one caveat. Um, he gives an explanation of biblical love that we would not affirm in the same way he does. So he kind of dismisses the idea that you can command love. And you heard yesterday from Keith um, that we can command emotions and we can order them. And so, um, so just take that with a grain of salt. But everything else as he's dealing with homework is really helpful. So let's turn that on and then I'll be back in about a half hour to guide us through some discussion. agenda for the future for the next session. So let me just start right there. And the first thing I'd written down was for both of you to bring your Bibles. And I see two Bibles here plus mine. So we're off to a good start there. And I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles back uh, each week because we'll be using those. And you're welcome to lay them out here on the desk if you want to and or your notes, whatever. Okay. Uh, I think I want to turn now to the uh, pamphlet, What to Do When Your Marriage Goes Sour. And I'd ask each of you to read it carefully and mark uh, 10 key sentences. Did you do that, Deb? Yes. Did you do that? Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Now, what I'd like us to do is uh, start at the beginning. And uh, Deb, I think I'll start with you. Would you read the first sentence that you marked? And then I want you to comment on it. How did it speak to you? In what ways did you find it helpful? Uh, and then I may make some remarks about what you say, or I may not. Then we'll go to you, get your first sentence. And that way we'll kind of stay in the general flow of working through the pamphlet. And my goal will be uh, to use what you're learning from that pamphlet uh, to help you in thinking more biblically about marriage and about the issues being discussed. And so we'll just kind of work our way through it. All right. And if you have questions about any of the, the comments that are in there, you can feel free to ask. So would you get us started, please? Yes. Um... The first one that I have highlighted is uh, you will have to learn how to love one another. And uh, I have that highlighted because the word learn is in italics. It's emphasized there. And uh, I guess I just always thought that love was a feeling and that I didn't have control over that. I either felt it or I didn't. Mm -hmm. And what this is telling me is that I do have control over it and that I must seek after it. Mm -hmm. Very good. Do you want me to go to the next one? No, let's get get your next one. Okay. Um, Well, I kind of had uh, one right after that. Um, It was, uh, love is not feeling first before all. Right there at the the bottom of the, the first page. Before all else, it is a determination to do good for another. Because God has told you to do so. Love begins, therefore, with a desire to please God. Love toward another is a willingness to give to him whatever you have that he needs because you know that God wants you to. And where true love exists, the feeling follows soon enough. 
Okay, now, why did uh, some excellent uh, statements? And I'm glad both of you are marking some on that subject. How to tell me how those spoke to you? Well, like Deb was saying, this is not how I've thought about love, and to understand that love is not first a feeling, um, that it's a determination to do good for someone else, not because. That's just what I'm going to do, but because God's told me to do there, that, that love begins with a desire to please God. Um, I mean, that's that's different, um, that in loving Deb and doing things for her, um, my motivation should be to please God. And um, I've never thought about it right. like that. Okay, now let's just pause. Uh, the, the sentences that you're marking, uh, most people mark. Okay. And I think it's one of the most helpful sections in the, the pamphlet. We live in a culture where love is equated with feelings or sex. Right. Okay. Uh, I remember uh, one guy uh, was asked, uh, you know, what is love? And he thought very philosophically for a moment, and then he said, love is a feeling you feel when you have a feeling you've never felt before. <laughs> it's kind of gobbledygook, right? <laughs> well, the scriptures are clear that biblical love is acting with another person's best interest in mind. Emotions are involved. Feelings are involved. But biblical love is primarily an action. Let me, let me see if I can prove this. Here's a verse you probably learned years ago when you attended a church, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave... His only begotten son. Remember that? Yeah, I think that's it. Or a verse we'll talk about later that talks about the role of a husband. It's a husband's love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh -huh. Biblical love is giving. Or the definition I like to use is biblical love is acting with another person's best interest in mind. You can choose to act loving even when you don't feel like it. So mm -hmm. you can choose to act with somebody else's best interest when you don't feel like it. Now, it, Trey, in the section that you read, uh, go right, there's a definition of love. It says love is giving to another what they need that you have because God wants you to. Mm -hmm. Do you see that section? Yeah. Okay, I want you to mark that. Don't have a pen? Okay, sure, I can help you with that. Here you go. Thank you. And, and Deb, I want you to mark that uh, on yours as well, because I'm going to have both of you to learn that definition of love. Love toward another is a willingness to give to him whatever you have that he needs because you know that God wants you to. Yes, mark that. Okay. So both of you, and I've got it on your homework sheet here for next week. I want you to be able to quote that statement for me. Okay. So next week at one point I'm going to say, Deb, what does it mean for you to love Trey? And I want you to be able to say, love, to love Trey means I give to him what he needs that I have because God wants me to. And then, okay. and before we leave this section, I want you to remember, you can act loving even when you don't feel like it. Because it's primarily an action. Okay, we're back to you. Next sentence. Um, well, I had the... The stuff that Trey just read, so I'll read my next one. All right. And that was, everywhere in the Bible, God commands us to love. And I did that because um, because it's commanded, it's not something that I have the choice. It's not, well, if you feel like it, do it. God commands it. And then it says, everywhere in the Bible, God commands us to love. So it's something that he obviously takes very seriously because he wouldn't have said it everywhere. Okay, Trey, next. Um, well, the next one was kind of along those lines, um, but I guess it was uh, encouraging that if love were not, if love were a feeling first, it couldn't be commanded. And that just follows up on the logic that he's been laying out so far. Yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, I had that one too, so I'll stick it to my next one. There is great hope since God commands love. He never commands anything of his children that he does not supply both the directions and the power to achieve. And um, I highlighted that one because of the hope that it talks about, that God enables us to do things that he 
commands and even when it seems like it feels like it's just impossible to do it God enables you to do it anyway right you need to believe that by faith and then put your faith into action by acting loving toward him even when he's not being lovely and you toward her when she may be frustrating the fire out of you I mean you can you can still choose to act loving and that's a very important concept the scriptures never command our emotions it always commands our actions but when we do what God tells us to do the emotions follow mm-hmm. so good sentences all right Trey back to you um, well he hits on this this whole idea of forgiveness um, and that's not the next thing that I've got marked but I, I think of what remains that was um, really something that jumped out on me that um, forgiveness is not a feeling first either that it's fundamentally a promise and I, I never thought about forgiveness in these terms but when you forgive someone else you're promising to do three things about his wrongdoings you promise I shall not use them against you in the future. I shall not talk to others about them, and I shall not dwell on them myself. Um, you know, I, I'd never thought about those three things being involved when you're talking about forgiveness. What would, what would have been your understanding of forgiveness? Um, huh. Certainly not as complete as that. Um, only being able to forgive somebody when you don't feel negatively toward them. And um, it's almost like if somebody were to ask you to forgive them, you'd kind of have to do this soul-searching to figure out whether or not you really felt like it or not. And according to this, that's not it at all. It's promising that you're not going to bring it up to them anymore, yourself anymore, or uh, anybody else. Um, that's new. Yeah. Did you mark any sentences in that section, Deb? On forgiveness? Yes. Yes, I did. I marked, um, actually, what he marked, and then down towards the bottom of that same page, I put, even the faith that you have is enough to work wonders if you will only exercise it in obedience. Mm-hmm. Now, let me, let me just uh, take a pause here. What's being talked about right now in, in the pamphlet is really critical to your long-term change and growth and your long-term unity. Uh, think of it this way. Learning how to confess sin. None of us are perfect. You sin against him. You sin against her. I sin against my wife. We may be trying to think and act biblically, but we still end up sinning. Okay, we hope we end up sinning less. But none of us are going to be perfect till we get to heaven. Confessing sin to the people we've sinned against, admitting what we've done wrong, and confessing our sin, and asking for their forgiveness and receiving forgiveness, as it's defined in the pamphlet, as it's explained from the scriptures is the oil that keeps the machinery of human relationships running. Hmm. If you were to take oil out of an engine, what would happen, Trey? It'd burn up. Absolutely. And that's what happens with relationships, where there's not a confessing of sin, a willingness to say, I did wrong. I, I hurt you. I sinned against you. Not just against God, but against you. I admit it. I confess it to you, would you please forgive me? And then the person granting forgiveness, and by granting forgiveness it means I won't bring it up to use it against you mm-hmm. again. I'm not going to talk to anybody else about it, including my family or the people at work. And when my mind gets to dwell, thinking about it, I'll take steps to get my mind off of it. Now just think about what that would do in your relationship. Think what that do to help cut out these arguments. What that would do to bring a level of peace and harmony to your home if each of you was willing, when you sin, to humble yourself and admit it. And say, I did wrong before God and before you. Would you please forgive me? And then for the other one to say, honey, I forgive you. It's done. Hmm. Can, can you get just a little bit of a glimpse <laughs> of what that would do in your relationship? Yeah. See? 
Now, because this is so important, I'm going to ask you to learn that three-point definition of what forgiveness is. Okay. And you notice I'm having you, uh, of course, you're, you're reading a pamphlet. You notice I'm having you to learn things and be ready to quote them. All right. Here's the reason for that. L- look at me for just a moment. The battleground for lasting change in your lives and in your marriage is between your ears. If you don't change the way you think, you won't change long term. So that's something that I had a question about uh, because, you know, that third step there, I shall not dwell on them myself. Um, I guess I've always thought that I really, uh, I don't have much ability to control what goes on inside of my head. That's not true. Yeah. That's not true. And later in some of our future sessions, um, I'm going to show you how to discipline your mind, to discipline your thinking for the purpose of godliness. The Bible talks to us about over and over again about being renewed in the spirit of our mind. In fact, that's probably one of the things I'll be teaching you next week in our in our next session. But as we move along, I'm going to teach you how to think. I mean, I, I will tell you right now, I'm after your mind for your benefit and for the glory of God. Because if you don't change the way you think, you won't change long term. So that explains why I'm always, in all my homework assignments, you'll notice he's having us to read the Bible because the Bible tells us how to think. He's having us memorize key verses so that they're always with us, whether we're driving or mowing the yard or at the grocery store, we can think biblically. That's why he's going over booklets with us and asking us to memorize key phrases and key definitions because I want you to learn how to think Christianly. And as you do that, you'll be taking significant steps toward long-term change and growth. It will make you a different man and you a different woman. And when we've got a different man and a different woman, we've got a different marriage. See? So that's why, back to your statement earlier, Deb, that's why there's great hope for you folks. Because Jesus Christ gave us his word to teach us how to think. And the Holy Spirit will help us to do that. You both are professing Christians. That means the Holy Spirit will help you with this. Any questions about what I've just said? Um, I I do have a question, and I don't know if this is something you want to get to now or later. But yeah, but, but well, before is it what I I'm, I'm interested? Did what I just what yes, I just explained? What you just said made sense. Okay. That's what you're did asking. I make? Was I clear? Yes. You both yes. Okay. Yes. Would you summarize what you just heard me say? That um, we have hope because God enables us to control our minds and control our thinking. And out of that right thinking, we should be able to uh, do right actions. And that pleases God. And what happens in our mind can please God or cannot please God. Right. Excellent. What would you add to what she just said? That... Because we're believers in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us helping us. Um, it's not like we're doing it on our own. Right. That we're, and he brings this up in the, the pamphlet, but um, that because the Holy Spirit's within us, um, it's not like we're, we need to be doing it in our own strength. That um, We're doing it with God's help. Okay, now you had a question. Yes, I did. Um, he spent some time here going over like Phil's role as the husband, and that he needs to love his wife and their scripture and stuff. And but he just starts to touch on the woman's part, and then he backs out and says, you know, go see your counselor. So I guess I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind elaborating. No, we're, we're going to talk about that, that and. Okay. I've got an agenda of things, and certainly the role of the husband, the role of the wife is coming. Uh, right now, I would probably see that being session uh, four or five. Okay. So it, it's it's coming. coming. It's okay. coming. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, whose turn is it for the next sentence? Uh, I don't know. Trey, I think it's yours. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we, we kind of touched on that one. Um, well, I've got right there at the bottom of, I don't know what page this is, but this side of the pamphlet, um, 
Paul points out that man is head of the of his home as Christ is head of the church. That means he is primarily responsible for seeing to it that there is love in the home. How does that speak to you? Um, well, <laughs> that's heavy responsibility. It sure is. Um, and, I mean, the idea that love is not a feeling, I mean, it, all of this together is almost revolutionary to think about it in this way, um, because that means that if if there's, I guess, a lack of love in our relationship, I'm the one primarily at fault. And later, I'll be doing some more teaching on how to love biblically. Okay. But I need to get that understanding. Yeah. Hey, Deb, back to you. What's your next sentence? Um, well, this is actually kind of backing up toward, to love. But when it says, um, feeling is self-centered, love focuses upon another. I guess I never thought of my feelings as being self-centered and self-focused. But they're saying that it is in that love... Well, it's like what we've been saying. Love is not a feeling. Love is me giving. Love is not primarily a feeling. Primarily. Feelings are involved, but it's primarily an action. I think what it's wanting to draw, if people just live by their feelings, if they just do what they want to do, say what they want to say, act nice when they want to act nice, are mean when they feel like being mean, that's not, that's not a loving approach to life. Mm-hmm. Biblical love is you act kindly toward people, whether you feel like it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember Christ commanded us to love our neighbor. He also commanded us to love our enemies. I mean, he sure wasn't saying feel warm toward them. Mm-hmm. But he's saying, you know, we can even be kind to people that, that are treating us like we're enemies. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's right. really hard and yet really freeing at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well <laughs> stated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Trey, back to you. We should be getting close to your last uh, statement there. Yeah. I marked the comment that the husband, Phil, made when he said, I've always wanted to be the head of my home, but I've never known how to begin. Would that be true of you? Yeah. We can help you with that. Some of the way we're headed in the future will help with that. Okay, Deb, back to you. Um, Any more? That... Uh, no, not really. Nothing that hasn't been Discussed. elaborated on. Okay. Do you have any more? Well, this was earlier in it, but huh, the idea that uh, there's there's no way out of loving my wife because she's my wife, she's uh, my neighbor, uh, and she's... Your enemy. My en- I mean, really, if we're honest about the way we've been living, Deb's been my enemy. Right. And you may have been thinking about her in those terms yeah. at times. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, and I'm commanded to love my enemy. Right. right. And by God's grace, uh, our thinking can change. Yeah. And that's what we look forward to happening with both of you. All right. Any uh, questions for me uh, from that pamphlet before we move on? Yeah. That was good. All right. What I would uh, like each of you to do, what I would encourage you to do, is to keep that pamphlet in your Bible because uh, I'm going to have you reading your Bible more than you were the first time you came in here. And I think that pamphlet's the kind of literature that you can open it up every so often, and even if all you do is just glance at the sentences that you underline, that will be helpful to you and be edifying to you. And so don't put that in a drawer where you won't see it again. Put it where it's going to keep coming up, and you're going to be reminded of these truths, because as, as we're seeing, some of these are new ways of thinking for you folks. Yeah. And just discussing them in here for a few minutes doesn't mean all of a sudden you've got it. I mean, you've got to remind yourself of these things. So whatever would work for you, plan to do that. Okay, now let's move on. Uh, I'd ask you to have uh, one date per week. And uh, Trey, you were up this week. Tell me about that. Um, well, you said we didn't have to spend money. And that's a primary concern of <laughs> The primary concern of mine. So um, we uh, we made dinner and went to the mall 
but with the understanding that we were not going to be spending any money while we were at the mall. And uh, he we, came on my turf. <laughs> we uh, we ate dinner there at the mall, and um, we just kind of walked around and and talked a little bit. And uh, Deb likes looking at the puppies in the pet store, so we went to the the pet store and took one of the it was the golden retriever uh, <laughs> out and played with it a little bit. It's funny though; the dog spent more time playing with his toys than it did even <laughs> playing with us. So yeah. we kind of looked at it the whole okay. time. And was that a pleasant activity for you? Yeah. I mean, the, the eating at the mall, walking around, and look, even though you couldn't spend money, was that a, was it, what I'm what I'm trying to understand was was this a pleasing date? I mean, yes. was this a positive experience for the the marriage? Yes, it was just fun to be together in in an environment where it just really emphasized our interaction, and we weren't staring at something okay. else that. Course, she didn't allow for us to talk. She wanted to buy the dog. <laughs> right. right. Okay, now you're up. It was cute. <laughs> um, you're up for the date this week, and uh, I want you both. Did you mark the calendar? I forgot to ask about that. Yes. Okay. So the calendar is marked. All right, that's good. And um, so each of you now should be looking ahead. And last week I kind of joked when I said about looking at the paper, but, you know, I need to be a little more serious about this week. As you read the paper, as you hear advertising for things that are coming up, um, special events and so forth, I mean, be looking ahead. And I want to encourage you to give some energy uh, to this to make your date times a really special time. And I think this little simple assignment has huge potential for your marriage. So... Let's look forward to some happy times together here in the weeks coming up. Okay. All right. And I'll look forward to hearing what you come up with when I talk with you next week. All right. Very good. Now, uh, I'd ask you both to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 at least three times per week to record the day and time you read and write out the most meaningful verse from each day's reading. And uh, why don't we uh, start uh, hearing about that. And uh, Trey, why don't you start us on this one? How many uh, how many times you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 this week? Um, well, I'll be honest. Um, I didn't do such a good job on that one. Um, I, I, I started it, um, didn't get all the way through it. Um, but now, does that mean you did not read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 all the way through one time, or you just you didn't read it all the way through three times? Um, no, I, I didn't get through it. Uh, at all? Uh, at all. Uh, I mean, I I started it, but... How far did you read? Um, I read Matthew 5, but it was right before bed, and I was tired. And... Okay. And why didn't you get it done? Um... I was tired the night that I read it, and I was pretty busy the rest of the week. And so I didn't get it done for those reasons. Okay, and uh, how many hours of TV did you watch this week? Go back. I saw you on Thursday. Uh, how, many time, how much TV did you watch Thursday night? Um, at CSI. Um, Okay, and what about Friday? A couple hours. All right, what about Saturday? Well, Saturday's when we did our date. Um, but I did, I did, I watched some during the day on Saturday. About how much? Um, three hours. Okay, and Sunday? the game so that was know, three hours three hours and monday well monday um monday i didn't watch much i uh, about i don't know 30 minutes or so okay and tuesday a couple hours and wednesday i probably watched Hours on Wednesday. Okay. Now, um, put together for me how much time you spent watching TV and 
not getting this reading assignment done. Depending on how fast you read, you're your college graduate with a, a, a an MBA, so I assume you can read fairly fast. Um, most people can read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in 15 minutes or so. Now help me put those together. I, I put my priorities on the wrong things. I agree. And I think that's one area where your thinking needs to change beginning this week. Um, maybe a, a change, a radical change in strategy might help you. Let me just give you a little phrase to think about. No Bible, no TV. Say that with me one time, would you? No Bible, no TV. Do we need to talk about that anymore? No. Okay. Uh, now, let me show you what I have for you that will help us to keep moving ahead next week. And... There's nine areas that I want to touch on here, and some of this is just review, so don't be scared by the number. All right, number one, I want you to both read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 at least three times this week. Record the day and time you read and write out the most meaningful verse. This is a wonderful section of the scripture. There's so much in this passage that can help you. So read it looking for verses to help you know how to think and how to act. I want both of you to review and be ready to quote Matthew 7, 24 to 27. I want you to learn that passage so well that Deb, in the middle of the night, you could reach over and shake him and say, what's Matthew 7, 24, 27? He could set up, quote a word perfectly, right back he down and go to sleep. Me. Right? So both of you work on that to get that polished out. Then the third thing I've got down is I want um, both of you uh, to do unit one in this book called Strengthening Your Marriage. Now, we're going to use this for the next several weeks. This is a fabulous book. Wonderful teaching. Look up the scriptures as you read. At the end of each unit, or uh, he calls them units, not chapters, there's uh, questions with blanks to be filled out. I've got one of these for each of you. I want you to do it individually. Right? Complete this first unit. But after you've done it, I want you to share your answers with each other before you come back. Bring the book with you, and I want to talk with you about the areas where your answers were different. Okay. All right? Then look at number four. I want you to remember these two statements. Love is acting with another's best interest in mind. That's my definition I like to use. Okay. But I also want you to learn the definition in the pamphlet. Remember, love is giving to another. Okay, you marked it there. Yeah. Be ready to quote that. Number five, I want you to learn the three-point definition of forgiveness and be ready to quote that so that when you say, I forgive you, you know that means I won't bring it up, use it against you, won't talk to other people about it, and I won't dwell on it myself. Okay. In other words, be ready to do that. Continue having one date per week. Continue to attend at least one service per week at uh, Faith Baptist Church. And next week, I'd like you to take notes on the message and be ready to come back and talk particularly about what you learned and how it applies to your life. Okay. Hear and obey. Uh, Trey, I'd like you to consider this statement. Uh, no Bible, no TV. And the last one, both of you make three signs that say hear and obey, and then post those in conspicuous places. A lot of ladies put it like at the mirror where they get ready in the morning. A lot of guys put it on the dashboard or the, the truck or at the phone at work or something, but just so you hear about that. Now, does this look doable this week? Why? But we will do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me lead us uh, in prayer. Then. Principles. What were some of the things that Randy was doing that inform us about how to use homework in a session? And there, just for clarification, the, like the last three minutes was the second section. So we, we skipped over about 30 minutes in the middle after he finished uh, going over the homework. We skipped over the teaching time and then went to the assignment of homework. So what do you learn about homework? This is where you talk to me. Yes, sir. Okay, so homework is designed to correct thinking 
and transform the thinking, renew the mind. So uh, as biblical counselors, we talk a lot about put off, put on. But often we skip that middle verse in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, which is the renewal of the mind principle. And he's absolutely right. We're after their minds. Good. Yes, sir. Great. Yeah, so homework homework puts the responsibility on the counselee. The counselor can't change. And it's it's making it really clear this is all up to you. And he if you notice, everything he did was measurable. So he wasn't vague, you know, you need to love your wife better. Well, what does that mean? How do you measure that? But he's giving them measurable things to do to grow in their mind renewal. Um, and then he can evaluate. That becomes a point of evaluation, and, and you, you learn further down the road, do I have a counselee or not? If they're not doing the homework, you don't have a counselee. Great. Yes, ma'am. Hey, for yeah. Is this doable? Can you do it? Will you do it? Yeah, exactly. And that, that was one of the things I noted as well. You always want to make sure it's doable. I tend to start real short, for me, short on homework, because I want to figure out how much are they going to do. I don't want to overwhelm them. Um, but um, so I, I start small and then I'll increase as I find um, effectiveness. Now notice he also said there's nine things. And did anybody go, <gasps> I think they kind of did. I'm, nine things. But he quantified. I don't remember exactly how he said it. What I will say to counselees is, look, I know this, this seems like a lot, but this is all normal stuff. Read your Bible, meditate, pray, worship, serve. Those are all normal things. That's that's normal Christian life. So um, so that's nothing unusual. So but but asking is this doable and will you do it is is a good thing. Yeah, I saw another hand. Yes, way in the back. Yeah. What did you notice? And excellent. So they can reread. So he's setting them up for success. He's reminding them. He's he's reinforcing things that he's taught. What did you notice about the scripture reading assignment that he gave them? A challenge. What else? He took it. He yeah. I want to talk about that in just a second. So he corrected Trey. Poor Trey. Weren't you squirming about the time he got to Tuesday? <laughs> He gave them the same one. Why? He didn't do it. So if it's worth assigning once, then keep reassigning it until they get it because they haven't learned the principle. Why would you move on? So when, I, when I'm making an assignment, especially early on, probably the first 10 or 12 sessions, I always have very specific things in mind that I want them to be reading about. And if they're not doing that, then I don't have things to build on and reinforce. And I can't move on until they've mastered that. So that's especially important early on, really critical. Don't just say, well, I assigned it and we need to move on. No, no, no. They haven't learned it. They haven't mastered it. So let's let's help them with that. Great. What else? Yes, sir. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he he confronted Trey without shaming him, and <laughs> his his tone was gracious and gentle. Just matter of fact, right? Okay, Monday. What'd you watch? Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, I have <laughs> to my shame, I've gone up and added up. 23 hours, right? Or whatever it is. Sometimes it's helpful to do that, um, to make a particular point. Uh, one, one student I had um, was a video gaming. That was his struggle. He, was, he would set his, not even set his alarm. He just wouldn't go to sleep. Mom and dad go to bed. He'd get up and turn on the video game. He was watching video games 40 hours a week. And they were not the generic, you know, he wasn't racing cars on his video games, right? He was killing people and it was violent. And I made the point with him, you're watching 40 hours a week. You have a full-time job training yourself in decadent behavior. And so I wanted to do that. I thought that was helpful. But Randy didn't do that. As a matter of fact, 
He just let the situation play it out. He asked the, he asked the, the question you would expect to ask. Um, and, and then he was very matter of fact. And don't you love, do we need to talk about this anymore? <laughs> um, that was, that was great. Okay, what else? <laughs> he did. I didn't see all of that. And um, I didn't play all of that because I wanted to compress it. He did ask her. She did finish the reading. She did have the Bible verse memorized. And uh, that's right. <laughs> Teacher's pet. And, uh, and he commended her for that. Um, so, which is, which is one thing I wanted to point out. It, notice as he went along, things that they did do, he did commend so it's like your kids. You want to commend godly behavior. And so as you're seeing your counselee do things that reflect transformation, that reflect that they're seeking to honor and glorify the Lord, affirm that. And you're seeing progress. I've even affirmed when someone looks at pornography, but they haven't looked at pornography for three weeks, and that's the first time they've gone clean for three weeks in seven years. It's like, okay, well, don't do that, but aren't you thankful that this has been the first time in three weeks? Now, let's set up a plan for making sure it's more than three weeks next time, right? So don't always berate a failure. Look for opportunities to affirm progress. And if somebody doesn't look at pornography for three weeks and they've been looking at it for two hours a day for for years, that's progress, and and you need to affirm that. What else? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they each had individual assignments and then coming together. And that book assignment is a a normal kind of a thing to do. I do that regularly with couples. Um, Do this on your own and then come back and talk about it. And I want to know how the talking about it went as well. I'm going to be inspecting that as well. Good. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Excellent, excellent. So he controlled the session and he guided the session well. So what were the things, some of the things he did in doing that? How did he control? And you're exactly right. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. So he's asking both for interaction. He's alternating before. Not both of them are talking about everything. Did he comment on everything that they read? No, that's how he saved time. And Randy finished on time. He always finishes on time. You and I won't, but he did. How else did he control the time? He set an agenda. Did you notice that he was marking? So as he's going along... He's making comments on his notes from the previous week's homework. He's scratching things out that were completed. He's making notations about what was done and what wasn't done. Okay, so what else did he do? Yes, sir. Exactly. Yeah, it's easy to chase rabbits, and sometimes you're going to be really excited to chase the rabbits, and he didn't chase the rabbits. Twice he said, that's not for today, we'll handle that here, or we'll handle that here. Um, and so he set, he set that agenda. Good. What else? Good. Okay, good. So he's he's reinforcing, he's re- having them restate. Um, he's asking them to restate what he has said. Um, good. Did you notice the puppy dog story, right? They really wanted to talk about that golden retriever. And he didn't bite, pun intended. <laughs> right? So he didn't chase the rabbit. It's real easy. And you can lose two, three, four minutes real easily chasing those rabbits. One other thing you might not have noticed. What was on his desk? Bible. Why is that important? And it was open. The, uh, Randy was my supervisor in, in phase, and, um, step, phase one. And the first thing he asked me the first time we met was, was your Bible on your desk and was it open? Uh, I had to think, yes, it was. <laughs> I was so glad. Um, but why is it important? Of something to say, and it's, 
He's communicating non-verbally. It's not about me. It's about what's in the book. Right? So he's affirming. And he taught through it in between that we didn't see that. But that's affirming non-verbally the importance of the book. What else was on his desk? A clock. That's how he guard, that's how he safeguarded his time. You've got to have a clock to watch. And I am constantly looking at my clock. A watch is fine, but that can communicate something else. Very often, the counselees never see when I'm looking at the clock, but I'm watching that thing. And it's kind of like a clock in the pulpit. It goes at twice the speed of time. (laughs) You think, oh, I've got an hour. I'll never get through this. And you look at the clock and you go, it's at 54 minutes. What happened? So what, you have a clock, and that's how he's, that's how he's controlling it. He has in his head a set time for, I want to do this and this amount of time, this and this amount of time, and this and this amount of time. So in my head, I'm thinking 20 to 30 minutes on homework review, 30 minutes on teaching, and five minutes on homework for the next time. And so every session I'm walking in, that, that's in my head, and I'm watching the clock about how I'm doing. And sometimes I'll just skip over homework because I'm just running out of time. Our discussion's been good. It's set the table, and um, I need to move on to the next thing. So keep that clock. That's going to help you a lot. He spent, I didn't look at the clock exactly, between 20 and 25 minutes on that pamphlet. Was that striking to anybody? I mean, that's a long time. I don't know if you're familiar. It's the J. Adams pamphlet on marriage. Um, it's probably, I don't know, one to 2,000 words. And he spent a tremendous amount of time on that. Why did he spend that much time on it? What was gained in that? Okay, he's redefining their de- definition of love. Good. I'm sorry? Okay, so it brought up it brought up the love issue and the forgiveness issue, and he's able to. I would say he's able to sow the seeds for what he's wanting to do in the future with them in that area. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah. So they've they can now as they're reading now they're interacting and understanding. Oh, he sees me as his enemy, right? Um, so, but that, that's helpful that they're interacting on that. We want to use homework in, two, in one of two ways. I want to use homework either to reinforce what I've taught in that session, or I want to use it to anticipate what I'm going to teach in the next session. So it's either reinforcement or looking forward. And what he was doing was he was using it anticipating what's coming, and he was also using it to da- gather data. So as he's interacting with them about what they're reading, it's like, oh, why would you mention that sentence? Why was that sentence important to you? And that's a data gathering point. He's trying to sort out what's going on in their relationship uh, that I'm going to need to help them with in the future. So it's very subtle, but he's using it to, to gain information. And then also helping to know where do I need to go with this couple in the future. So I think he he used he took more time than I typically would for something like that, but he got a lot of useful information out of that and was able to lay some groundwork. What else? In the back. Right. So homework is an evaluation tool. I think I said a little bit earlier, one of the things that we use homework for is to evaluate. Do I really have a counselee? You'll have counselees that show up every week faithfully, week after week after week after week. But when they don't have homework, when they don't do the homework, that's when the change takes place. I have them for an hour a week. They have 167 hours a week outside of me. And so their transformation is going to take place in that other 167 hours during the week. 
And if they're not doing that homework, then I don't have a counselee. I have someone coming to a Catholic confessional to absolve themselves of their guilt. No, seriously, that's often what's happening. I'm doing my penance by going to counseling. I'm absolved, the slate's wiped clean, and now I can go back to doing what I was doing for another week until I go to confessional booth the next time. And that's that's the evangelical version of the Catholic booth. And I, you, you will see that. Uh, that happens. He's also assigning homework with the end in mind. So think about the assignments he gave. All of those assignments all relate to spiritual disciplines. Bible intake, uh, Bible meditation, worship, service, right? So all those things connect to what do I want them to look like when they finish this process? So it's not like I'm working on stuff and then at the end, oh, well, this is what you need to start doing. No, at the end, they've already been doing what they need to be doing and the habits are already ingrained. So he's not doesn't need to give them anything new. Um, somebody brought up early, one of the first things was mind renewal. He's doing mind renewal, but he's also doing doing tasks and doing homework. So what we want to do is we want the person to be renewed and changed in their mind the way they think, but I want them to see the connection to real life. So if this is the way I need to think, what? how does that translate into doing? And so when I'm supervising, what I typically do is with my counselors, I say, okay, take the homework that you assigned, you assigned four things, and I want you to put either a T or a D next to it. Is it a thinking assignment or is it a doing assignment? And what do you think most of our assignments are? Thinking. At least three quarters. And there's a measure in which that's appropriate. He's exactly right. I'm after their mind. But I can't just leave doing out in the cold. They have to see how this translates. And if the, if the majority of the assignments are thinking... I'm going to have the counselor work a lot harder on cultivating doing. And, and honestly, that's hard. Um, it's easy to do the thinking assignments. So let's, um, let's just go through. I think I made a list of it here. Um, okay, so the, 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 new, the new homework he assigned, you tell me, uh, thinking or doing. Uh, he assigned the same reading as the last time, Matthew 5 to 7, thinking or doing. Thinking. Now, I mean, yes, he's doing in that he's got to open his Bible, but what? that's not a, a doing activity. It's he's renewing his mind by the reading of the Word, right? So that's thinking. Same Bible memory verses last time, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Thinking or doing? Thinking. Strengthening your marriage section? Strengthening your marriage book? Thinking or doing? Thinking. And then he had them converse about it. That's doing, right? So he's taking the principles that they're learning. Now let's talk about what we've learned in that. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? That's a doing. He's cultivating communication in the marriage. Uh, memorize a definition of love from the pamphlet. Thinking. Memorize a three-point definition of forgiveness. Thinking. Uh, memorize no Bible, no TV. <laughs> Thinking. Um, Having one date per week. Doing. Uh, continue worshiping one time a week, including notes on the sermon. What can I do because of what I've learned? It's both, right? So can, participating in worship, that's thinking, renewal of the mind, but then he's moving it to an action point. What are you learning that you can do in the session? So he's leaning more on thinking, but he's got a pretty good balance of saying, I want you to implement what you're learning. And he's thinking about concrete ways that he can get them doing some of the things uh, that he's teaching them and training them. Um, everything that he assigned in the first session, he inspected. So we can't expect what we don't inspect. And so if you assign it, you need to ask about it. If you don't ask about it, they're going to assume you don't care and they won't do it. So any assignment you make, ask. Um, so you want to be careful to do that. Um, yeah, I think most of that we've gone through. Any other comments? Yes, sir, in the back.
Yep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody hear that? More or less? Okay. That's true, except our propensity is to ignore the doing. So Paul in Romans 12, that starts the application section of the book. So 12 to 16, 15 really, 16 is the, the wrap up. But from 12 to 15, that's his application. What does service look like within the church? And and 12.1 starts with the word therefore. And the therefore is actually looking back to 1 to 11. All of the things that relate to the gospel, our position, God's sovereignty, etc. And Paul does that in, in most of his letters. Colossians 1 and 2, indicatives. 3 and 4, imperatives. Ephesians 1 to 3, indicatives. 4 to 6, imperatives. So what he does consistently is he lays a theological foundation in mind, and then he draws out the implications of it. And our tendency especially in this kind of setting, because we love the Scriptures, our tendency is to just fill the mind without translating it. And that's what my my um, admonition, exhortation, encouragement is, that we not forget the doing and just say, well, it's just mind renewal and they'll get it. No, they won't. They need to see specifically, what does this look like in your life? So you've got you've come with this problem, You've come with this problem, and we're changing the way you think about it. But let's think about some implications of that. How might that look? If you want to change, um, what might that look like in your life? And you're just walking very carefully, gently, patiently with them about that. And that's all I'm advocating for. I'm not, I, I agree they should go together, but very often we don't do what we know. And I think even even that Paul is so emphatic about his imperatives in the last half of the books tells us that. He's, he's not saying, well, just bask in the glory of these truths. I mean, that's true. But the basking in the glory ought to translate into transformed life, and he's very explicit about how to do that. So, no disagreement, but maybe clarification uh, about that. Yes, he had assignments ahead of time. Yep. And he had an agenda that's section four, section six, section eight. Yeah, it's all in his head. Yep. And and that's pretty typical. You're going to line out. Okay, these are the things that I need to go through with this couple. Uh, when I walk into when I walk into a counseling room, I know exactly what I'm going to do in that session. I have designed a plan. Sometimes I'll deviate, not very often, but every once in a while I'll deviate. I already have homework for the next session, probably 90 to 95 percent of the time. Actually, this week I had a counseling case and I just didn't know where it was going to go. It was a first session, and so I told them when they walked in, "I don't have homework for you today. I will email it to you no later than first thing tomorrow." And so my homework was predicated on what I learned about them in that session. And so that's the beauty of, you know, the technology we have now. We can text homework or email homework uh, the next that, that afternoon, that evening, the next morning. And um, when Randy was doing that, that wasn't possible. I don't know if you noticed what he was writing on. He was writing on a paper that was um, bonded paper, so it has two sheets of paper and it's carbon so as he's writing on the top sheet, it's making a carbon impression on the bottom, and that's what he's handing to the other person. So we actually still have some of those, but uh, I, ne- I never use them. Yeah, it's not it's not actually a carbon. It's just two sheets of paper, but it it leaves um, the writing on the second sheet. Um, so. Yeah, I think having ahead of time in your mind, where am I going? What's the homework going to be? And then where am I headed long term with this couple? 
Um, it's going to be helpful. Okay, we are one minute over. Uh, as you leave, let me pray before you leave. And then um, as you leave, you can either leave your name tag and those evalu- evaluation sheets on your seats. We'll pick those up for you. Um, or if you want, you can leave them on the table, the CBCD table in the, in the foyer as you leave and head out to your cars. Let me pray and ask God's blessing on our weekend. Thank you, Father, for this time together. We trust that it has been honoring to you, helpful to us. Thank you for the immense privilege of building into other people and sharing with them the truths of the Word of God so that they can be changed and transformed. And again, as we have prayed so many times, might we ourselves be transformed by the things that we are studying and learning so that uh, we learn to delight in you and out of the overflow of that delight, might we serve you by serving others well. We also pray that the things we have spoken about this weekend will prepare us for a morning of worship tomorrow, that our hearts will be exhilarated to be with your people and to worship together. And again, might that be done so that we find delight in you and you are exalted and receive the worth that you are due. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.